The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Comey Snake. Welcome to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I am Molly Balin. And I am Eric Deutsch. And we welcome back for the last time this week to run amok, <laughs> Kathleen Mocklin from Hocus Pocus. I, I swear to fucking God, I'm giving this cell a half a fucking star. <laughs> and I'm going to take use of all of my fucking fuck swear points this episode because, yes. Anyway, I'm tired of being in here, but I love being on the show with you all because Molly and Eric are fantastic. <laughs> you have been a dear to have. You've been highly enjoyable. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here this week. Thank and, you, darling. You're so nice. That's so uh, good to say. Well, I'm being really honest. Dear to, I, I wouldn't say she's been a dear to me, Molly. Oh, no. I haven't. Screw you, Eric. Yeah. I'm <laughs> taking Molly. I'm taking Molly and I'm going home. Well, it's just some good-natured, you know, ball-busting, you know? And, yeah. and you being a native New Yorker, are you not used to a little ball-busting now and again? I can I can bust the balls with the best of them. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are, minute 27. Minute 27 starts out with a scowly, well-lit snake in the Gulf fire and shifts to some sweet radar and ends with snake confirming he's going in. Another great wireframe shot in the cockpit of the Gulf fire. Yeah, we are going to have to issue a mea culpa here, or at least I am. I know I said this. I don't remember if you did or not, Molly, but there must have been big fans of this movie screaming at their uh, iPods or Kindles or whoever listening to this a while ago when we mentioned the specific effects going on in this minute. These are not computer graphics. This is a practical effect that we're looking at here, this wireframe digital readouts. And I'm not going to go back and listen, but I'm fairly certain that I imply they were computer graphics back early on in the show. So, damn, that was really, really wrong. Because these were actually a model of the city painted with fluorescent paint and then just taking a camera and moving them over the model. This is 100% practical, and how awesome is that? It's pretty fucking awesome is what it is. It's... Really, really impressive. So impressive. So cool. The basically story, the background story is John Carpenter wanted high tech computer graphics here. And this would be incredibly simple, obviously, today. But remember, this movie was made in 1980. And this would have been incredibly expensive to do back then, even something as simple as this. And so I, I actually read two slightly conflicting accounts of exactly how they accomplished this. One website that I went to said it was a miniature model set under black light with reflective green tape placed along every edge of the model buildings. Another website I read said it was a model constructed out of black material and the edges and corners were painted white. Mm. So, and then either the paint or the tape, whichever one it was, is visible and that makes it look like it's a 3D wireframe animation. Yeah, I had that same... I remember reading those same two articles and seeing both. And there's a lot of like special effects 
you know, wireframe shots. And so what I interpreted was some of them were done with that particular lighting and, and some of them were not, and they were done with just the white paint. So, uh, John C. Wash is, uh, one of the effects dudes who, who worked on this. And there's a, an interview with him from the EFNYLAPage.com which has, in general, some really great information, and and I know I've personally used uh, research from that. But uh, if you're if you dig this movie, and if you're listening to this, that's it's another really great website to kind of check out. So there's a an interview with him, and and in that particular interview, he does talk about uh, using the um, the the black paint with the or black velvet, depending with uh, the the white paint on it for for the edges. Right, and that after they were done, the optical effects crew then added some graphic overlays to make it look like the green on black, like the computer screens did look back in the early '80s. And you know, the the I I, I saw that interview on that website as well. And you want to talk about attention to detail and and what you know special effects people do on movies and just the the work that has to go into something that ends up being on screen for you know, less than 60 seconds of movie time here. This is, a, this is a quote from him, and this is just incredible, the detail and the work that goes into this kind of stuff. He says, I discovered and rented a large book, which was essentially a real estate map of Manhattan. It contained detailed maps of the city grid block by block and listed the number of floors of every building in the city. I used rough calculations to determine the average height of each block and then he and his colleague Mark Stetson built three miniature models of Manhattan that corresponded to Snake's flight path in the movie. I mean, just the craftsmanship, you know, that, and the time that must have gone into something like that, that, that's not on screen for that long. It's just really impressive. It really is. And, and when this comes up, you know, there's, there's some pictures of these models, and they're quite large. They're a little surprising to me in terms of, of how they look. But... Um, the the craftsmanship and the detail is really incredible. So you guys will get to see that. Um, and this is also from that particular article. Uh, he does talk a little bit about the uh, why he didn't use a computer for the effects. And so uh, his quote was, at the time, computer graphics were still in their nascent stage. Most of the computers used to do very simple animations were large, expensive machines reserved for research work at large corporations and universities. In the instance of Pliskin's glider sequence, I knew that a computer model of the island of Manhattan with hundreds, if not thousands of structures would be beyond the capacity of any computer that existed then. For other shots that were, were two-dimensional in nature, using traditional animation tools was simply a matter of time and cost savings. Yeah, and he had all kinds of challenges doing it the way, this way. They said that the lighting had to be completely flat with no shadows, and they couldn't use a lot of lights because the models were built with hot glue. So if there was too much heat, it would have screwed up the models. So, you know, th this really was a very intense process. And, I mean, completely shocking to me, because, and I think I've mentioned this before, I thought this was one of the, the pioneers of this type of, of aesthetic in, in computer graphics. And to find out that actually, no, it's not. <laughs> it <was> still, <laughs> still just super cheap to be able to do. And, and even at that, I mean, how much labor intensive work it took to, to do this in an analog fashion. But the results are, are really just so vanguard for the time. And they're just completely, they're a craft project, a high-tech craft project, essentially. Kathleen, did, were you, did you think this was computer? Did you know it was practical? 
I mean, I, I figured it was a combination of the of the two. I mean, what was that awesome like animation where you film something and you draw over it? What's what's that called? A uh, spec? Ah, wow, I'm blanking. No, but I I really do love that about the '80s. It wasn't a lot of CG yet. They used a little bit of it, you know, for little things, but set design back in the late seventies and eighties, like I really miss that. Like, and I know, I know I'm talking about Ridley Scott again, but like those big sets that like those big directors built, I really miss that. Mm-hmm. Just the artistry of everything. And Molly, you said analog. And I, I, I feel like analog has a place, you know, it gives a space and an environment for the actors to react to. They have a sense of self. They have a sense of scope of where they're going and where they are. Um, and I and I I'm not knocking computer graphics. I think they have their place and they can do some incredible things, especially nowadays. But I don't know, man. There's just nothing like some good old set design, you know. Plaster mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Paris and some plywood with some paint, like you know, and just being like really creative with budgeting and making some really cool effects, you know. Um, so I, I knew that it wasn't all computer generated, but I, I figured it was just like a hybrid or a combination of the two art forms at the time. So it reminded me of uh, Tron a little bit. Like Yes, very much mm-hmm. so. That That's like, yeah, it reminded me of Tron. It's just like I was watching this movie and I kept thinking of like all the other movies that I've seen throughout my life. And I was like, oh, OK, that that looks like that kind of technology because that's what they had at the time, you know. Um, but I, I miss that about the eighties. Like mm-hmm. I love CG, but, uh, and the puppets, man, there were so many puppets back in the eighties. Like I miss all the puppetry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think that, you know, we look at the, the original star Wars set and, and the type of, of puppetry and, and just, well, something that was actually sharing space with actors versus, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, the this green suit and and a large helmet, you know, to represent a character. And yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Farscape, and I feel like Farscape was one of those last major productions that had that type of analog. Uh, like and yeah, grandiose set design. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of a of a what I would consider a, a classic science science fiction series. So, not that you know, digital doesn't have its place, and and doesn't. I'm just you know thinking of like Asgard, for example, and just like how beautiful those digital scenes are, and they're just fake, fake, fake. But I think you know. Did you guys? Are you guys Avatar fans? Did you guys like watch that? Dig that? That kind of thing. I thought um, it was fine. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I I appreciated the 3D effects for what it was, that it was groundbreaking. I mean, I, that as a story, it's stupid, but, you know, I, I, I mean, I have no interest in seeing any of the sequels at all. I, I, I don't know what Cameron's thinking there, but, um, you know, it was interesting to see that because it was the first time I had seen that kind of 3D. Mm-hmm. I like Avatar Land at Disney World. I think that's pretty cool, especially at night when everything's lit up. Hmm. That's that's neat. But as far as the movie, I thought it was fine. Yeah, I think about that as a a movie that just relies so heavily on technology Mm -hmm. to make it work. You have something like this movie, which, you know, has sprinkled in its effects in such a 
a small but meaningful way. You know, these are not like bold. This is not a a CG plane, right? Right. It, where that's the these instruments and these visuals within the cockpit which are the you know your your effects shots which i find to be really interesting that these are small potent details that really create a very three-dimensional story and i think that's why you know this movie is is somewhat timeless is because it's just masterfully used in that manner yeah even the 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 exteriors the close-up shot of the miniature city with the gulf flyer Gulffire gliding in and, and navigating through the streets. Today, that would all be CGI, mm-hmm. you know. And now, mm-hmm. instead, this this was all practical, and they actually had to use a, a spe- special kind of camera system, control ca- computer controlled camera system, to capture that because the models were so small. And today, it'd just be like you know, four, five, six animator sitting at a computer doing it and so even though you know when you watch it minute by minute and you're really studying these minutes obviously you're looking at it you're like okay yeah it's obviously a model but it just looks awesome and there's just something about it being real that even though it you can tell it's a miniature it's still something about it you know and i don't i you know i'm speaking of someone that grew up in the 80s and grew up watching those 60s, 70s, 80s movies, Clash of the Titans, that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, yes. uh, so maybe there's a bit of nostalgia in it for me, but it's just there's something about it that's more enjoyable movie experience than knowing it was just someone sitting at a computer typing away. Mm-hmm. Well said. Mm-hmm. Bravo. Yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> and let's yeah. let's give a let me give a little uh, little details here on this guy John C. Wash because this is not a name I knew until I was researching this specific minute actually he knew john carpenter from usc film school he'd worked with him on the movie dark star and he we have him to thank by the way for he's the one who suggested to john carpenter that the finger that romero shows how has the presidential ring on it he's the one that said hey you should put a ring with the presidential seal on it to just to ensure everyone knows that's the president's finger and he did some other stuff for this movie too he did the animation that we see in the prologue and he did the graphic of the crash of air force one that molly we so lovingly discussed (laughs) and he also did the graphic of uh the wall countdown clock not the wrist watch countdown clock but the one that's back at the home base where hauk is the one up on the wall and most importantly to us star wars geeks out there he did the animation for the display in the Death Star's war room, showing when Yavin 4 would enter firing range. Oh, that's really specific knowledge, Eric. That's cool. Yes. So thank you, John C. Wash. Thank you, John. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> and let me just uh, to pivot back to the thing from a second ago about the exterior shots of the plane going through the streets. I mentioned there was a special camera system it was called the Elicon Camera Control System, and the developers of it were named Peter Regla and Dan Slater, and they actually won a Special Academy Awarded Technical Achievement for creating that con- camera control system. Oh my god, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of which, we've got, uh, and I think we're you know, almost kind of halfway through the minute here, but I, I find it very endearing because we're getting more of these special effects shots with uh, looking over Manhattan and and we have 
you know, a, a little bit. It's been a little rusty. It's been a little while <laughs> for good old Snake, you know, <laughs> driving one of these uh, these gliders. And so I, I like that there's this little bit of humanization here that we have where you see the uh, Gulf Fire going into Manhattan and he takes kind of a sharp turn. feels a little precarious. He's like, woo, been a little while. <laughs> <laughs> It makes his character more real and relatable. Like, oh, this really cool, awesome, tough guy um, who's incredibly good looking, but that's, you know, (laughs) can mess up. He can, you know, fail just like the rest of us almost. And it just makes it more, him more relatable as a character. Um, And just going into like the computer generated movies, like they've gotten better, like the storytelling and character development, but I'm always about a good story a good premise and intriguing characters. And I usually like those misfit type characters who have had a hard life and are given a, a, Oh wow. It is storming here like crazy y'all. Um, anyway, sorry about that. If you can hear that at home, that's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, I love it. Um, I'm in my element right now. I don't know about y'all. I mean, but I'm good anyway, but it just, I don't know. I I love moments like that, like just vulnerable moments for like a really tough character. It just, you have this like, oh, he almost crashed in that building. That's so cute. You know, (laughs) make him more approachable as a human, I guess. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And by Mm -hmm. the way, that, that building, that building Mm -hmm. with the near miss, that is actually supposed to be a real building. It's, it's the MetLife building. Back then it was called the Pan Am building. Uh, It's on Park Avenue in Manhattan. And it used to have, here's a, here's a fun factoid for you. It used to actually have a helicopter route from the roof of the building to JFK. And it's still one of the 100 tallest buildings in the country. And when it first opened, it had the world's largest commercial office space by square footage. Wow. And convenient commuting as well. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Interesting. See, I love that you're a New Yorker because there's all of these really interesting details that you bring to the table that I would just like, I would never know. Cause like I've been in New York once, you know, and you being a, a real native really does a lot in terms of providing color and context for this movie. Well, Molly, ne- our, our next podcast will do escape from Portland and <laughs> <laughs> do Portlandia. <laughs> oh, that's a good show. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's it's unfortunately really true in a lot of ways. That's what, that's what every Portlander says. <laughs> it's like annoyingly true. It is annoyingly true. They should really put that in their ads. <laughs> I do love that there's this minute where uh, Hauk's on the, the horn is like, Pliskin, Pliskin, where uh, Pliskin's having a little bit of a hard time with his altitude and, and nearly crashing into another building and... Pliskin's very uh, junior high response of like, I'm playing with myself. I'm going in. Oh, I live for that quote. I have that in my notes. That's like the only thing I wrote for this minute. Oh God, I'm sorry. Playing with myself. I'm going in. (laughs) Zing. Oh, snake. You're so silly. This truly is one of the greatest lines of this movie. It is just, it's delivered so perfectly. It's its so funny. It's its such a middle finger to how, and, and to end to the situation he's in. I love this line. It's just awesome. Mm-hmm. 
And I love how uh, our friend, the Secretary of State, again, as Hulk's trying to get Snake on the horn, again, turning around, putting his head in his hand, like, oh, my God, what the hell did I do? I cannot <laughs> believe this is the plan I signed off on. Let's just face it, it's not a very good plan. I mean, can we <laughs> all agree on that? Like, this is kind of a shitty plan. Oh, it's a Hail Mary. It's a, it's a Hail Mary from the 20-yard line. It, this is, you know, yeah, this is, I mean, it's incredible long shot. I, I, and also, I I mean, I know that we have to, like, put the capsules in his neck to, like, give him 21 hours or actually the 20 hours, 17 minutes and 30 seconds, you know, when he gets in the thing. But I don't know. It's just it's just a it's an all from like a project management perspective, which is what I do. It's <laughs> not very well thought out. Like there are so many unintended consequences that could go wrong. But. I could hear someone say, well, that's what makes it interesting, Kathleen. And yes, I agree. But still, it's just not a very logical plan. But then we wouldn't have this amazing movie, would we, Eric? So. No, we wouldn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hey, it's not a logical plan trying to break Han Solo out of Jabba the Hutt's palace, you know. But Return of the Jedi is still a great movie. <laughs> well, I mean, you need Han. I mean, he's like, he's Han. I don't know. No, but yeah. Logical movies are boring. Like, who wants to go see that? Those don't put butts in the seats. No, no. But Kurt Russell does. Yes, he <laughs> does. And he can put his butt in my seat any time. <laughs> do you realize, do you Zing, realize there you go. That, that what you just said means you want Kurt Russell to insert I know what I said, Eric, and I know it doesn't make any sense. That's the point. Oh, my God. Stop analyzing everything that I say. You can analyze this minute all you want, but just, like, stop overanalyzing everything that I say. Sometimes uh, analyzation of anything that occurs during Escape from New York Minute is implied in my mandate. Oh, my God. I did not see that in my contract, okay? <laughs> like, um... <laughs> I did not agree to those terms, but fine. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, y'all know what I'm trying to say. Anyway. Yeah. He has a nice butt, alright? <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. I like his ass in those pants. <laughs> what i'm trying to say thanks eric <laughs> hey now that we've devolved to talking about uh, kurt russell's buttocks uh, any anything else about this minute anyone i mean that quote is dope that's all i have no i i agree um yeah that's that's a that's a tough that's a tough moment to to beat right there <laughs> <laughs> Well, all right. I mean, Kathleen, thanks so much for joining us in prison this week. It has yeah. been a blast. I mean, I guess. I don't I know why. I'm going to give you a parole. I don't know why every time I do shows with y'all, I have to be trapped somewhere. Like, is there someone with, like, a weird fetish of, like, a semi-attractive woman being trapped in a prison or something? Like, I just... Anyway, I just need to read my contract more. I mean, it, I'm, I'm signing off on things and I'm not reading things. So it's my own damn fault. Look anyway, so I'm on Hocus Pocus Minute, and it's going to drop in mid-June, and I'm really psyched about this because Hocus Pocus is a cult Halloween movie. I feel like we all watch it around the Halloween season, right? I mean, Molly, I'm sure you do. Or was that a little bit, I don't know. My oh, I've, I've seen it, yeah, for sure, many times. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's... I, I got, I, I got mad love for the, the Bette Midler, so. Oh my gosh. It's just, I feel like it's the best Halloween movie of all time. And I'm really excited to do a minute by minute. I'm hosting it. Um, my co-host is going to be my husband, Kyle Crane. Um, and we're doing it through Pele Media. Um, so we're going to drop in mid-June. And we've got a Twitter up 
um, at Hocus Minute. Um, we'll soon have a Facebook, but we'll be um, posting in like the main minute by minute listeners and contributors page um, soon. So be sure to check us out. I'm really excited about it. Ready to get spooky. So <laughs> Woo! awesome. All right. Thanks again, Kathleen, for joining us this week. And of course, we're on Twitter as well. We are at NY Minute Pod, and we're on Facebook. Hang out with us in Brains Library, the Escape from New York Minute Hangout. Subscribe to us so you never miss an episode. Rate and review us. We uh, make us make us all happy. And until next week, be on time, stay out of the sewers, and we'll meet you on the other side of the wall. Mm-hmm.